please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is powered by the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Education Foundation, which supports the educational programs of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, home of Space Camp, working to inspire the next generation of explorers. Learn more about the Foundation's mission at rocketcenterfoundation.org. Some people think that moon phases are caused by the Earth blocking the moon. The shadow, the Earth's shadow is falling on the moon. Actually, the only time the Earth's shadow falls on the moon is during a lunar eclipse. The moon phase is actually caused by the changing angle between the moon, the sun, and the Earth. We always see from Earth the same side of the moon. Another misconception there is that when people learn that, they're like, oh, well, so the moon doesn't rotate. The moon does rotate. It just rotates at exactly the same rate at which it goes around the Earth. It's in synchronous (laughs) rotation, just like many of the other moons in the solar system. Katie Berryhill is a former intelligence officer for the United States Air Force. Today, she is an astronomy professor at multiple colleges and the CEO of Berryhill Computer Forensics Incorporated. She is a Space Camp alumni, a science education researcher, and a NASA Solar System ambassador. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time. And I'll let you know what I find. My family was uh, sort of bi-coastal. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Actually, my father was president of Point Park College, which is now Point Park University, which was actually founded by my mom's parents. Oh, wow. Um, So there's a lot of history there in Pittsburgh. But then we left when I was four to come out here to California. So I often think of California as my hometown, (laughs) though I root for the Pirates and the Steelers. (laughs) (laughs) We left again when I was nine, which I was not happy about. We went to Western Massachusetts for four years. I did have a great school experience there, but I really missed California. Um, So I was kind of happy when we moved back to California. (laughs) So I was here again for um, eighth grade through the end of high school. Then I went to the University of Pennsylvania as an undergrad. So Back and forth, never really in the middle until later. It sounds like you came from a family with a kind of a long lineage of, of being educators. Yes. Is, and is I that never actually you... really wanted to be a teacher. Really? And then I s- found myself being one. <laughs> and I I actually dedicated my uh, my doctoral dissertation to my parents. Their example that, as I said, inexorably dragged me into what I now realize is my calling. A lot of times that's how it works. We end up falling into it. Yeah. My mom was a a teacher of teachers. She founded the Point Park Department of Education. And a few years ago, the uh, university was awarding my dad an honorary doctorate. 
the whole family went to Pittsburgh for it. We went to the, the commencement and my sisters and I were wishing my mom could have seen that moment. And then we realized that the woman who was getting the teaching award that year was in the role my mom had. She was chair of the education department. And we were like, oh, look, mom is here. And so we introduced ourselves to her afterwards. And she told us that that morning she'd been informed that her proposal to turn the Department of Education into the school's uh, fifth college. I guess they call it a school. Turning it into the, the fifth school. So it's now the School of Education. And she asked if we wanted to be part of that. And so I ended up flying to Pittsburgh to speak at that event, which was was really meaningful. Yeah, it was, it was just meant to be. And now I realize I have the same effect. And the list of, of quotations that I like to look at in the morning to help get me going is Krista McAuliffe's statement, I touch the future, I teach. And I was wandering around on one of the, one of the many campuses I teach for. And I realized there was a little sculpture, there's a memorial to Krista McAuliffe, right in the middle of this random community college in California. I have no idea why, but that was <laughs> that was nice to see. Yeah. For a long time, I wanted to be an architect. I'm not entirely sure why, other than the fact that when I was five, I asked my mother what jobs used math, because I loved math. <laughs> and for some reason that she never could figure out, she said architect. <laughs> <laughs> So I latched on to that um, until I realized that I'm not really that artistic. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I, I realized one day I was doing a photography project for school. I hated taking pictures of people. So I would like, I went to the zoo to take portraits of animals <laughs> for a portrait assignment. And I wandered around downtown San Francisco taking pictures of the buildings, thinking that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really interested in the architecture. And I realized, no, I'm interested in the skyscrapers. I'm looking up. Right. And I'd always been interested in space. Uh, but until that moment, hadn't really thought of it as a career. People often ask me, you know, how'd you get interested in, in space and astronomy? I honestly do not remember a time of not being interested. The family joke is that um, when my mom was pregnant with me, the doctor had told her she was due in June, 1969. I was born in late July, 1969, 19 hours and seven minutes after Apollo 11 splashed down safely. I was actually called Splashdown Plus One for quite some time. <laughs> my parents sent thank you notes to people who had been helpful throughout the pregnancy and signed it Splashdown Plus One. <laughs> and I have actually managed to meet all three members of the Apollo 11 crew and managed to tell them that I was born 19 hours and seven minutes after they got back. It just goes to show you shouldn't meet your childhood heroes because you cannot control what comes out of your mouth. <laughs> like, yeah, you know that really important thing you did? Yeah, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I do in fact have autographs from Armstrong, Aldrin and Collins. <laughs> well, at what point did you attend space camp? In high school, I joined Civil Air Patrol uh, which is auxiliary of the Air Force, uh, which gave me the opportunity to actually have to take tests on the aviation and space history that I had loved to learn for fun. So I was sort of getting into 
to that. And then in 1985, I saw a little ad in a magazine for Space Camp. And I looked it up. Space Camp was three years old. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, they, they... there was only Space Camp Level 1 and Space Camp Level 2. And it was delineated by grade level. Level 2 was only for up to high school sophomores. And technically, I was a junior because I had skipped sophomore year. I came into high school probably because of my time in a private school in Massachusetts in junior high, just a little further ahead than, than the California Sure. Public schools, I guess. And so they had let me skip sophomore year. But I was still 15 years old. My chemistry teacher was more than happy to sign the form saying I was a sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> so I I went in June, uh, right after school ended, June 85. It was my first time traveling alone. It was amazing to be around other space geeks. I had never experienced that before. I was always this strange kid who knew all this about the space shuttle and Apollo and whatever. Right. I didn't know there were other kids like me. And so that was absolutely fabulous. I got chosen to be the commander of my Discovery crew. Uh, I remember in some spare time we had, my pilot and I went to the simulator to practice more because we were so excited about this. <laughs> I have this vague memory of him initially resenting having a girl get chosen to be commander instead of him. But I guess my enthusiasm won him over because he ended up being a great friend throughout the week. And he was a supporter at graduation when they announced the Outstanding Camper Award. He kind of nudged me and said, that's going to be you. And it was. So that was a, a really proud moment of my life. And then in 2012... My family was going to Alabama for a family event. Somehow it occurred to me to check the space camp schedule. (laughs) And there was a family camp session that was perfectly timed for us. So we went. My son was 12. My daughter was eight. I think my daughter's favorite part was the multi-axis trainer. When she was really little, she loved getting swung around and upside down. And we joked that she loved getting her vestibular system stimulated. <laughs> so the axis trainer was perfect for her. My husband is an aviation geek. Um, he was at KC-135 Navigator in the Air Force and tons of pilots in his family. And my son was well on his way to following in our footsteps as a space and aviation geek. And he got selected to be commander. And I was selected to be pilot next to him. So I literally had a front row seat to watch him experience the same joy I had of commanding that that simulator flight. He also loved building and launching rockets, which was something I hadn't gotten to do when I went before. (laughs) And uh, he later had to build and launch a rocket in a college physics class. And he won the class award both for altitude reached and for best design. So he's very into design. And he is now an aerospace and mechanical engineering major at UC Davis with a dream of building the big rockets. Space camp has this effect on people. And I've always said it is rare that one has the opportunity to relive a favorite childhood memory and have the experience live up to the memory. 
The Intuitive Planetarium is an immersive digital dome theater experience that offers educational astronomy shows, live entertainment, and exciting theater experiences. The only one of its kind in the Southeast, the Intuitive Planetarium at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center offers an 8K digital planetarium and digital dome experience. Additional time tickets are required for Intuitive Planetarium experiences. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today. I was a scholarship cadet in Air Force ROTC. Initially, I was in electrical engineering, planning to double major in astronomy. But my first double E class showed me that I wasn't at all interested in it. <laughs> I'd, I'd enjoyed learning about circuits in high school physics, but the reality was not my thing. But the problem was that my scholarship had been awarded in double E. And the Air Force has this hierarchy of majors, and you can change up the priority scale, but you cannot change down. So I was feeling really trapped. Um, called my parents early hour of the morning after <laughs> worrying about this all night. And they said, go ahead, change your major. I mean, as educators, they know you, you need to major in what you really want to be majoring in. Right, right. So I waited until business hours and called my ROTC commander. And I guess he really believed in me because he called in a favor at ROTC headquarters and got my scholarship changed to astronomy. So I will be forever grateful to him. Most every year I send him a thank you message on Facebook on the anniversary of my commissioning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Air Force did not use my major at all. Uh, I became an intelligence officer. For my first two years of ROTC, that my I had a dream job in the Air Force, which was to work in mission control in Houston for shuttle flights with DOD payloads. I think they called it the like, manned space flight operations officer or something like that. But my sophomore year, I learned that they were phasing out that career field. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so much for combining the Air Force and space. How did you land in intelligence then? I applied for a, a summer program uh between uh, junior and senior year where you get to go and, and be a kind of third lieutenant, a cadet shadowing a second lieutenant. And I think I put two space-related fields as my first and second choices, but then my third choice was Intel, <laughs> and that's what I got. And so I, it was actually really cool. I got to spend three weeks at uh, Beale Air Force Base here in California near Sacramento, where they fly the U-2s and used to fly the SR-71s. And so I, I got to follow these intel officers who were working with the imagery that was coming from these aircraft. And I got to watch a roll of film, this huge reel, come in from the U-2 and follow it through its process through the building of getting developed before digital stuff and <laughs> getting sent to the the photo analysts who would say oh yeah this looks interesting can you give us a a blow up of that and then looking at the the bigger images and seeing if there was anything there and then i was assigned to give a briefing to the commander to sort of showcase what i had learned and 
they had actually found something in this imagery. And so I, it, at the time, it was so cool to get to say, well, sir, in imagery from two days ago, we see. And, you know, now that would be like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see what it looks like right now? I had the misfortune of having a perfect score on the first few units in Intel school. There is a unit that no longer exists, but it was in in uh, at Ellsworth Air Force Base in Rapid City, South Dakota. It was a new unit, and it was really, really top-heavy. It had tons of majors and lieutenant colonels and full colonels, and somebody told the commander, you really need to get some young officers in here. And he's like, all right, well, I want the top of Goodfellow. <laughs> so they called down to the training school at Goodfellow and said, we need the top of the next two classes who don't already have their assignments. That was me. So I didn't know this at the time. So I got to go through the whole process of requesting my top five choices and researching that. And I got none of those. <laughs> I got sent to Rapid City, South Dakota to be one of two lieutenants in this unit uh, that it was focused on training tactics to bomber and tanker aircrew. Not anything I had any experience in. So I, I ran the Intel library for a while and then I, I mainly did the current Intel briefings and uh, briefings to aircrew. It's kind of interesting having grown up as, as someone who was painfully shy to suddenly being the person standing in front of a room talking. I actually got quite good at public speaking. So then I I met my husband. Uh, interestingly enough, we met on America Online. You know, before online dating was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this August will be our 30th anniversary. So he was stationed at uh, uh, up in Michigan, and that was the year that the Air Force was doing a drawdown. And I was actually too young to get fired. They don't use that word. They call it a riff, a reduction in force. Right. <laughs> but then they suddenly were offering what they called an early release for people in my year group. And they would, they would waive half of our commitment. So they paid for four years of, of college. And so, I did two years of active service. I, I, I didn't feel guilty about it because I knew I wanted to stay in the reserves. So when my husband and I ended up back here in California, I immediately joined a, a reserve unit and uh, so spent about eight years still doing current intel briefings for commanders and aircrew um, for the the guys who were flying the C-5s and the, the C-141s. Did he stay in the Air Force? Or? He switched to uh, being a special agent in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. He ended up being a computer crime investigator because his bachelor's was in computer science and then uh, he got the, the law enforcement training. So we ended up starting our own business doing that. So right. we have Berry Hill Computer Forensics. Okay. I do the accounting. He does the, <laughs> the work. <laughs> sure. So I woke up one morning with the feeling that I needed to go back to school. And this was early internet, <laughs> 1996. And so I started researching and I found this amazing website. It was called space.edu. I bet a lot of people would love to buy that domain, but 
but it belongs to the University of North Dakota. And they had put their space studies master's program online. And I signed up. The way they did their class then is they, they taught all of the space studies classes in a particular classroom that was all set up, mic'd, cameras, everything. And they recorded every lecture. And then the following semester, they would send out the VHS tapes <laughs> to the distance students who would then take that class. And then we had, uh, initially we had chat sessions where the, the professor would be on audio and then we'd be on chat. And throughout my two-year program, they were increasing the technology, eventually getting it to be two-way chat. It was a great program. At the, I guess it was the final semester. We had a group project that would culminate in our week on campus. And so our year, we were the first graduating class. We're pretty sure that we were the first people to get online masters hmm. in the U.S. There may have been a a Stanford program that same year. But we were very proud of that. Yeah. And so our project was to design a human-occupied moon base and lunar observatory. So I was in charge of the, uh, the telescopes. So <laughs> it was actually kind of fun finding this, the, the newest tech that could be useful on the moon, like liquid mirrors, <laughs> which would work great in a vacuum. And putting a radio telescope on the far side so it'd be shielded from radio from the earth so we got to go to grand forks for our our last week and and present that we got to ride in the the altitude chamber that was at the university of north dakota and the master's was in space studies space studies which is technically not astronomy though i did have several classes in a, astronomy when I actually wasn't even done yet, I somehow found out that a local community college was desperate for somebody to teach an Astro 101 class. So I applied and they interviewed me and they must have been desperate to hire somebody where they had to <laughs> like do a waiver, not only for the fact that my degree was not specifically in astronomy or physics or geology, but I wasn't done with it yet. <laughs> and I got thrown into the, into the fire, they said, pick a book, go teach. And that's when I realized I'd never actually seen an intro astronomy class because I was already a declared major when I, it was time for my first astronomy class as an undergrad. So my first class was intro to astrophysics one. <laughs> Which is past, it's farther along. It is because an astro 101 class is really usually very conceptual. Actually, it was great because I got to learn along with my students as I was going, because ahead of teaching them, I was learning things better. I ended up teaching at that same school for a, a few semesters. And then I got hired by American Public University System. And so I ended up creating a, several new classes and, and teaching a bunch. I got the opportunity to teach, finally, the intro astronomy class, which I'd really wanted to do. <laughs> I even taught some college algebra for a while. So I was full-time for them for about 12 years. But I had started going to conferences about astronomy education and had started working on my doctorate. So I decided to try to look, see if I could find a, an in-person job. Found that my local school was hiring, actually, for a full-time position. Prepped for that. I did a, an interview boot camp thing and got all ready 
and I didn't get the job. But they asked me if I would teach part-time. <laughs> so I started teaching astronomy and some conceptual physics for Solano Community College while doing the APUS job full-time. I, I ended up teaching online for Solano because they wanted to have online astronomy, and I was the only faculty member with experience teaching online. <laughs> so what had, I had intended to be my way to teach in person had turned into yet another online job. <laughs> And so then I started looking further and I found that Los Madonos College was hiring. And that one was even better because they have a planetarium. <laughs> and planetaria are my happy place. I got a job the summer after freshman year of college at the Morrison Planetarium at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco. And I ended up working there every vacation. <laughs> and even when I was home on leave, when I was in the Air Force, worked my way up through every part-time job in the place. I was you know, usher, cashier, floor manager, and then started as an, a, an apprentice technician. And once I got my degree, I got to be a planetarium lecturer. Oh, fun. Which was amazing. I, I wrote two planetarium shows and got to help produce them. I hadn't, but I hadn't been in planetarium for a while. So then I got to teach in the planetarium at Los Madanos. And since then, I've also added online teaching at Chabot College and Las Positas College, even a community college in North Carolina, because there was a class that I taught at APUS that was developed at Arizona State. It's a fabulous class. It's called Habitable Worlds. It was developed by Dr. Ariel Anbar and his team. So the class is entirely built around the Drake equation, which is Frank Drake's way of estimating how many communicating civilizations there could be in the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> so it includes the factors of the rate of star formation and how many stars develop planets and how many of those planets could possibly sustain life. How long does life take to develop and how long does it take to develop communicative skills and then how long does it last? That we don't know, of course. Well, most of these we right. don't know. And so when I was leaving APUS, the only thing that made me sad about leaving there was that I wasn't going to get to teach Hab Worlds anymore. <laughs> so I contacted Ariel Anbar the day that I resigned from APUS, said how much I enjoyed his class and I'd love to be involved. And lo and behold, a little bit later, they contacted me and, and said, how would you like to teach a MOOC version? for Arizona State. So I've been doing that for the last two years, which is really fun. And then they said, hey, we got this call from this school in North Carolina. They want to offer Habitable Worlds, but they don't have a faculty member who's available. So suddenly I'm now teaching Habitable Worlds there. So at the <laughs> moment, I'm teaching for six different schools. Wow. Let's talk a little bit then about the your your other job, uh, Barry Hill Computer Forensic. Um, computer Forensics looks at uh, electronic evidence in civil or criminal cases. Basically, emails, files. He's often looking for files that have been deleted or evidence for what someone was doing on the, the computer. Some of our most common cases are people who leave one company and go to work for another and they take proprietary information with them. Right. You are a NASA Solar System ambassador. I have done public outreach, doing things for school groups and homeschool groups. I was often 
great. Um, so I, um, I've done that kind of outreach. I've also been trained through Astronomical Society of the Pacific in their family astro program, which is, is a set of two, usually two part programs, basically aimed at families with kids in the eight to 12 range. And so the families can come to these activities and learn together about the moon or uh, how we learn things in astronomy using light, about the planets, a lot of hands-on activities. A lot of times I take those activities and I actually use them with my college students. <laughs> I was also trained in their Project Astro program for a while, uh, where I was I was paired with a particular teacher, and then I went into his classroom a few times during the year, did some of those same activities with those kids. Train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Shuttle simulator programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. The January after I went to space camp was when Challenger was lost. And that was a gut punch. I remember my school had a special assembly that morning to tell us what happened. And I had never had anything affect me so profoundly. One of my teachers encouraged me to write or journal about it. And out of that came the only pieces of poetry I've ever written. Um, at some point through my, I guess my grieving process, I realized that I was aiming for something that wasn't realistic. At the time, astronauts had to be five foot four with perfect uncorrected vision. I am neither. <laughs> so I switched to just focusing on, on heading into the Air Force at that point. Well, things are a lot different today. If you, had a, if you had a chance today to go up, would you go? I would absolutely go. I did apply once, what, the first time that uh, the, the job description officially didn't say five foot four, I mean, obviously it had been an exception before, it's highly unlikely that I would get anywhere near even being interviewed. I've studied these guys. I, I mean, <laughs> Story Musgrave has six degrees. <laughs> I'm not a pilot. I'm not a scuba diver. I'm not an engineer, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I realized I didn't want to have said for all those years that I wanted to be an astronaut and never have actually tried. Well, the advice that I often give my students, come talk to me, talk to your professors. They're humans, they're not so scary most of the time. I, there's so many people who think that going through school means you have to do it alone. You have to get it right the first time. And, and that's just not true. You need to engage with the material with other people because learning is a social activity, even when you're doing it online. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time. I'll let you know